This is The Guardian. Today, as King Charles receives treatment for cancer, why do more than a third of cancer patients in the UK face deadly delays? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I put a few of the initial bowel cancer symptoms down to just having a vegan diet, you know, things like needing to go to the toilet more often, bit of abdominal pain. Nathaniel Dye is a teacher and a musician. He felt the first signs about two years ago. I remember in March 2022, approximately, just having such extreme waves of pain, I thought I might have appendicitis. I called a GP and got an appointment and They just told me I probably was constipated. And then it was up to about September when I had all of the red flag warning signs. But it took me a good number of months to eventually put my hand up. Not long ago, the UK was one of the best countries in the world dealing with cancer. It still has excellent, passionate doctors and nurses. The trouble is how long it takes to get an appointment to see them, to get a diagnosis, to start treatment. The maximum recommended time is 62 days. Nathaniel had to wait more than 100. And every single day matters. I have now stage 4 incurable bowel cancer. It's spread to my liver, my lungs, my lymph nodes and my neck. And on average, 10% of people survive five years. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the cost of delays in cancer care in the UK. Nathaniel, when you say you you put your hand up, what do you mean? Is that when you went to the doctor and said to them, you know, I think something is seriously wrong here? Yes, that was talking to GP on the 1st of September when I got back from holiday. I remember being reassured that I'm 37, or sorry, I was 37 at the time, far too young to have cancer, but it could be something, we'll give you a blood test just in case. And over the course of the next few months, things gradually escalated. What happened? My, my cancer journey from the point of coming into contact with the NHS was a case of just a lot of little delays that added up to something pretty huge. So from little delays, things like going from one consultant's waiting list to another, waiting for diagnostic tests, and absolutely agonizing three-week wait or so for an official diagnosis from colonoscopy. So from first contact to chemotherapy from the 1st of September to the 16th of December was three and a half months. What's it like in those days and weeks between appointments, between chances to talk to a doctor or some kind of professional? What's that waiting time like? Um, Certainly when after a colonoscopy, I was told 
there was maybe a 70 to 80% chance that the samples they took would be cancer. Having to wait for that definite outcome, that was really, really very hard. I'm thinking back with almost a tear in my eye now because I, you know, did some reading. And so an early diagnosis, maybe at stage one, is especially for my age group, pretty okay, you know, pretty survivable. In fact, initially, before more tests were done, I was told that it was stage four, it spread to my liver, but I might live to old age potentially because I could probably operate on the liver. But then when further spread was discovered, things got worse. So you were waiting, but you were also waiting aware that when it comes to a diagnosis like this, time really matters, like every day matters. Potentially. And that's why it just baffled me that everything just seemed to be taking way longer than I thought. I was always under the impression that once that diagnosis comes, things happen pretty quickly. But I mean, in my case, no one seems in a rush at all. Do you think that that delay played any part in, I guess, the the prognosis that you eventually got? We can't say that for certain. It could be that the further spread was there already and waiting wouldn't have made any difference. But there's also a distinct possibility that my prognosis would not be as bleak if the NHS had acted quicker. Andrew Gregory, you're The Guardian's health editor, and you spend a lot of time thinking about and writing about the state of the UK's healthcare system. Obviously, getting cancer anywhere in the world is a terrible, distressing experience, but what's it like to get the diagnosis in the UK in 2024? Well, it's never a good thing to get uh, when you're told you've developed cancer. It's a very serious disease, and it's the biggest single killer of people in the UK. But at the same time, we've had enormous progress in the last few decades. Half of people diagnosed with cancer in the UK will now survive their disease for 10 years or more. And that's a dramatic improvement from where we were just a few decades ago. Whatever age you're diagnosed with cancer in the UK today, you do stand a good chance of recovery if your cancer is caught early and you receive prompt treatment. Andrew, where this positive picture and this progress that we've made over the past few decades starts to break down is when you compare the UK to other developed countries. When we do that, what do we see? A few decades ago, the UK was making considerable progress in terms of improving cancer mortality. But in the last sort of decade and a half, the UK has slipped back and is now way down the bottom of the sort of international league tables. The most recent ones show that we're as low as 33 out of 41 when it comes to cancer mortality. That means that we're behind countries like France, Germany, Spain, Australia, really only Estonia, Slovakia and Slovenia are behind the UK now. I mean, to have slipped that far that quickly, we're talking about a decade and a half. What is going wrong? One area is definitely waiting times. In the 90s and the early 2000s, waiting times for cancer treatment had improved significantly. But again, we seem to have slipped back 
into a poorer state of affairs and waiting times have now reached decade high levels. And to give you an example, the proportion of patients in England alone waiting less than 62 days from an urgent suspected cancer referral, that figure is just 65.2%. So that means only six in 10 people diagnosed in the UK are starting their first treatment for cancer within two months of getting an urgent referral. The target for that is 85%. And what are the consequences of that? I mean, what's, what are the consequences of waiting two months instead of getting seen in one month or even sooner? Well, the consequences are very clear. We know, and we've known for a long time, that the earlier you catch cancer, you have a wider access to treatment options. And the wider access you've got to treatment options gives you a better chance of long-term survival. But there's also other factors. The NHS is currently in its biggest ever workforce crisis. And there's also problems with equipment. In some hospitals in England, doctors are still using 30-year-old x-ray machines. That really is a cause for concern, especially when you look at the statistics for mortality. So why is that? Why was this system that was improving so much throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, why has it suddenly collapsed, at least when it comes to comparisons to other countries? Partly it's a lack of focus. In a way, the UK has lost its way when it comes to cancer. There was a process for introducing national strategies 20 years ago, but that seems to have fallen away. And there hasn't been a national cancer strategy in England for 20 years now. And experts say that lack of focus explains why we're in the situation we're in now. So you've talked about wait times, short staffing, old or poorly maintained equipment. Are there other factors that make getting cancer in the UK a worse experience than other places? I think it is mainly a problem of supply not meeting record demand. There are more people than ever before coming forward for cancer checks, and that is a good thing. There's been excellent public health messaging in the last few years, especially encouraging more people to come forward when they notice things that are perhaps unusual. But at the same time, if you've not got the workforce or the equipment or the hospitals to cope with that increased demand, then you're going to struggle. But there are other factors at play. And one of those is that there is still a problem in the UK population with people coming forward. What do you mean people coming forward? Historically, there has been a British attitude to keep calm and carry on. And certainly in the case of serious diseases like cancer, that's not the best strategy. The other point just to mention is that in the UK, we've experienced a pandemic, as has every other country in the world. But one unique aspect to the UK was that the public health messaging in terms of protecting the NHS and staying away from the health service was so well received that Experts agree there's been a lingering effect in terms of people still not coming forward for treatment. You've brought up COVID. I mean, what impact did that have? Because the NHS wasn't doing well beforehand. It gets suddenly hit by like the bomb of a once in a generation pandemic. What does that do to cancer care? The government and the NHS insisted care would continue. But the statistics lay bare the fact that that didn't really happen. Operations were delayed, chemotherapy was delayed, radiotherapy was delayed. There was already huge 
backlogs before the pandemic, but the COVID-19 pandemic definitely exacerbated existing problems in the UK. Andrew, when we say the system's not working as well as it should, is that true for everybody or is it working less well for some than others? We know that in England in particular, there is deep inequalities in healthcare. And that means that in some areas of the country, particularly the more deprived areas, people are either not getting access to the care that they need or not coming forward when they detect cancer symptoms. There has been efforts to address this in recent years. One really interesting development has been the introduction of trucks by the NHS, which are visiting places like supermarkets, sports centres, shopping malls, to carry out targeted lung health checks in those areas of the country that are more deprived. Hmm. And that's part of a drive to catch more cancers, in this case, lung cancer, earlier in order to save lives. Interesting. So you go to the supermarket and on your way, you can get your lungs checked for cancer. Yeah. And what's fascinating is not only do the trucks scan for cancer, but they're picking up thousands of people with other undiagnosed conditions, for instance, respiratory conditions or cardiovascular disease. And that's enabling them to access the treatment they need earlier. Not only does it help that individual patient, but it helps to prevent hospitalizations and that reduces pressure on the NHS. I love that because it's impossible to get someone like my dad to the doctor, but he loves going to the supermarket. So if the doctor came to him there, I can see how that would work really well. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew, King Charles will begin treatment now. The palace hasn't said whether that'll be through the NHS or through the private system. If it is the private system, how is his experience likely to differ to someone going through the state? We know that his cancer was discovered when he stayed in the London Clinic, an exclusive private hospital in the centre of London. There isn't really any difference between the NHS and private healthcare in terms of survival. All we do know is that there are extraordinarily long waiting lists in the NHS at the moment for cancer waiting times. And we know that the longer you wait, the more likely it is that your cancer will spread. So we know that hundreds of thousands of people in the UK have paid to go private for cancer treatment in the UK. And that's a sign that A, the NHS is not coping with the strain, but also a sign that people believe that if you go private, your chances will improve. But given the importance of time when it comes to treating something like cancer, the fact that private hospitals can do it quicker, that that must have a better outcome when it comes down to survival, doesn't it? We just don't know that. The studies say otherwise. There's also the fact that the NHS can provide a more rounded form of care. So it's not just about the course of chemotherapy or cancer surgery that you might undergo. There's pre-care, there's aftercare, there'll be months of consultations. So there's a lot more to it than just getting early access in private hospitals. Nathaniel, after you got your diagnosis, after many delays, you started to be treated inside the NHS system. How's that been going for you? 
Well, I'll say my consultant is amazing. The NHS system is doing what it can. I haven't had a chemo appointment delayed, for example, yet. About this time last year, things went really badly when I had a bowel obstruction that resulted in emergency surgery, although that still required me uh, being in A&E. I remember I didn't have a bed for a few hours, so I was just lying on the floor groaning. And then, well, within 24 hours of being admitted, I was in surgery and thankfully came out on the other side, although it was looking a bit dodgy. And in fact, I remember my consultant said they'd feared the worst, but they managed to get the primary tumour out. So that gave me, believe it or not, about 10 months without any treatment at all. So having been feeling like I was about to die, scan after scan after appointment after appointment said, well, the remaining tumours are not growing so quickly. So you can get on with your life for a bit. What does that look like, getting on with your life? Well, it started with returning to running. I gradually got back onto that managed to get to full-time work as a primary school music teacher. So I was doing a few gigs and things when I could. Um, Gradually built up the mileage. Got an opportunity to run a race called UTMB, the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc, 106 miles up and down a lot of mountains. 106 miles? Well, unfortunately, I didn't make it all the way around. Um, I'm a bit slower these days. I didn't make the time limit at 96k. You ran 96k? Yeah, um, with cancer in three places and a colostomy bag. Yeah, hats off. Yeah, But um, I really wanted 100 miles because I'd run three of them before. So in fact, I then, at the end of October last year, organized a 100-mile run myself. So started in Harwich in Essex and got to Tower Bridge. And just after my watch beat for 100th time, and to my knowledge, that's an unofficial world record for running with a colostomy of stoma. What was that like for you, Nathaniel, when you heard your your watch beep that hundredth time? Well, getting from 100 miles to cancer and back again, that just told me that despite all of this, that I'd I'd made it. I'd made something that the average person couldn't do with cancer. And having almost died and having been through chemo, it just felt like, look, however much, much I deteriorate now, I did that and I can hold my head high. And I think more than that, having something like that to put my name to has really helped with the awareness mission. I just desperately want to tell people that it's possible not to end up like me. I've got a a couple of other things on the bucket list. In fact, I've got a charity fundraising website with Macmillan Cancer Support called bowelcancerbucketlist.com. And we've raised about £9,000 so far. And the focal point of that is that I'm running the London Marathon on April 21st. But because I've run a few marathons, I thought I'd make it a little bit more of a challenge. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to run whilst playing a plastic trombone. <laughs> and um, yeah, in fact, if you donate, you get to choose a song that I have to learn to play along the course as well. <laughs> You're going to be hard to miss out on that course. I would have thought so. Yeah, you'll hear me before you see me, hopefully. But I'm uh, really looking forward to it. Coming up, how to fix the cancer care system and why the answer isn't just more money.
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. I'm Grace Den, and friends, I am back with some more helpings of comfort eating from The Guardian. I'm welcoming a host of fabulous guests, from David Bedil to Katie Price, and from Amol Rajan to Kathy Burke, and they'll be revealing the tastes they turn to when in need of solace and cheer. Comfort Eating returns on the 13th of February, with new episodes released every Tuesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Andrew, when we look at the statistics, they show us that cancer cases in the UK appear to be rising and predictions say that they're going to keep growing. There might be 2,000 extra cancer patients per week by 2040. If we're all supposedly getting healthier, why is that? Very simply, it's an aging population. So we know the older we are, the more likely we are to develop cancer. And so much so that we've now got one in two people in the UK will get a diagnosis in their lifetime. Okay, but then somewhat confoundingly, studies also show us that increasingly it's under 50s who are getting cancer. How do we explain that? Yeah, this is an extremely worrying development. The number of under 50s globally being diagnosed with cancer has jumped by almost 80% in the last three decades. Oh my God, 80%. Yeah, so there's clearly an issue. And although oncologists are working with scientists and researchers to try and establish why this is, they think the reasons lie in an increase in unhealthy lifestyles, poor diets, alcohol and tobacco use, physical inactivity, 
and of course the rising tide of obesity worldwide. God, it's such a damning indictment of the kinds of lifestyles we're living that we've seen cancer rates shoot up that much among people who should be in the healthiest years of their lives. What role does prevention play in making sure that both younger people and older people don't get cancer needlessly? Prevention is one of the things that is underestimated by lots of people and extraordinary fact that four in 10 cancer cases, certainly in the UK, could be entirely prevented. So we're talking about 135,000 cancer cases a year. And that really is down to taking better care of yourself, improving your lifestyle. So very simply, if you want to improve your chances of preventing cancer, you shouldn't smoke. You need to maintain a healthy weight. You should also maintain a balanced diet. Be careful when you're being exposed to the sun and think about cutting back on alcohol. And so that's what individuals can do. But the government also plays a huge role in shaping public health. You said earlier that they had lost focus on this issue. They don't even have a cancer strategy in place. Is this basically just about spending more money on the NHS? Is that the answer? Partly it's more money, but I think even more important than that is more staff. The NHS is still facing enormous backlogs, not just in cancer care, but from a variety of conditions and diseases following the COVID-19 pandemic. There are more than 7 million people on the waiting list in England alone. So if the government wants to improve cancer care significantly, and there is real room for improvement, then Yes, funding is needed, but I think the workforce crisis is the first thing that needs to be addressed. Because if you've got more nurses, more doctors, more radiographers, you will give everyone diagnosed with cancer a better chance of survival. And how many of those extra doctors, extra nurses that you said were part of the key to fixing this, do you think would come from overseas? How much of this is about immigration policy alongside health policy? It remains to be seen. We've seen that healthcare professionals from all over the world have made enormous contributions to the NHS in the seven decades of its existence. But one problem remains is that you do need a long time to train people. So doctors obviously need as long as a decade. And that really underlines why we need a cancer strategy sooner rather than later. Daniel, finally, looking back, is there anything that you now know that you wish you'd known back then at the very beginning of all this? I remember hearing the late, great Deborah James on her podcast, which I've since started listening to back episodes of, and she said something like, I wouldn't go back because it's made me the person I am today. And as terrible as it's been, It's part of me now, and it's brought untold joy, really, because I've got friends, family, complete strangers on my side. Everyone is rooting for me. I don't think I've ever felt a love like that in my short life. And actually, if unfortunately anyone ends up with this horrible disease, Hey, at least you've got that. You certainly have that. And I just urge them, if anyone 
does have cancer and they have any kind of platform, please, please, please just tell people. Tell people what the warning signs are because people could genuinely save like their own lives like I didn't. So that's what I'd like people to know. Nathaniel, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Nathaniel Dye. You can look out for him at the London Marathon this year. He's running on behalf of the charity Macmillan, who support people with cancer with treatment information and guidance. If you think that might be useful to you or somebody you know, you can find out how to reach Macmillan at their website, which is macmillan.org.uk. Macmillan has a double L in it. The Department of Health and Social Care said reducing waiting lists remained one of the government's top five priorities. Spokesperson said, quote, we're determined to continue improving patient care, having already delivered on our promise to create 5,000 extra permanent hospital beds and 10,000 hospital at home beds, freeing up capacity and cutting waiting times. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y dot and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.